Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Craig Schultz. I'm the campus pastor here for the next couple of months at least. I've been filling a role from September through to the end of March. Eight weeks, not very long uh, to go, but having really enjoying this time. I hope you are too. If you're not, bad luck. At least one of us is enjoying it. Um, so that's okay. I just want to say, um, I love that song we just sang. Well, I don't know about you, and I could sense it actually as we sing, you know, just people joining in. And he- I call them heaven songs. The songs of heaven, I don't know, they get me every time. Um, I don't know about you, but every now and then, do you wonder if you'll be bored in heaven? Yeah, when I sing that song, I think, actually, you know what, it might be okay. <laughs> it might be okay. Um, so it's just great. I hope, you know, it's just great. We're kicking off a new series today. It's going to go for eight weeks. This is the first of the eight weeks. And, the, and we're kicking off a series in John, and it's on the I Am statements of Jesus, uh, as recorded in, in the Gospel of John. Now, for those who are pedantic, there's actually eight I am's in John because at one stage Jesus just says, I am. Um, (laughs) But uh, these are actually the metaphorical statements of Jesus. So if you don't know what a metaphor is, it's where he says he's something that he does, but he's not really meaning it. Okay? It's a picture. It's a picture. And those seven statements are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. So these are the statements. We're going to hear about these over the coming seven or eight weeks because I think there's a gap in there somewhere. But that's the series we'll be going into. And so today I want to give a brief introduction into that series. And then um, we're calling it the prologue because we're actually not talking about one of the I am's today, okay? This is not an I am day. This is a prologue day where we speak about actually what John was intending to do when he recorded, wrote this record of John. Because in this gospel, in the gospel of John, John goes to great lengths to tell us about Jesus. He was an eyewitness. But he wanted to say what he saw and observed in Jesus and what that meant. And in particular, he was wanting to say that Jesus is God. His main message is that Jesus is God. And that what John observed of Jesus and how he came to this conclusion for himself and those around him, and how that became the agreed position of those people, was that they had observed Jesus' um, behaviours, that observed his conduct, so his behaviours and conduct, that observed his teaching, and that seen signs and wonders. So there are three things that John records in the Bible, in his gospel about Jesus. His words, his teachings, his um, his words and teachings, his behaviour and the signs that accompanied him. All pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And so today, we're actually going to look at the passage that sets the scene for the I am statements that we're going to read. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. As I started to prepare this message for this week, I thought, this actually sounds pretty familiar. I'm sure 
if I take a look, and I went and looked back through my notes and found out that I preached on John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 in this church on the 6th of January, 2019. Some of you were here. Okay. Does anyone remember? No, I thought so. Do you remember? You just don't remember if you were here or you don't remember the sermon? (laughs) No. Good, but in either good or bad news, hardly any of that sermon remains for today because the context was actually quite different uh, in what we were doing at that time. But let's start reading, let's start reading this passage, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. First couple of verses. John really starts with a bang here. Like if you go to the other Gospels, you know, Matthew starts with a genealogy, you know, like, okay, good on you. Um, Important to the first century Jews because it was very important to those people. But for us today, it's a genealogy. It's a fairly slow introduction of where you start from. If you go to the Gospel of Mark, um, he actually starts with a passage from Isaiah saying, making the link from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But there's a lot of introduction about where he's going to. And then, he's, then he just tells the story of John the Baptist. So that's, that's what happens with Mark. When you go to Luke, he actually writes a note at the start just saying, this is why I'm writing this book, my dear Theophilus. John doesn't start with any of that stuff. He's just bang, he's straight into it. He's actually into it with theology. Controversial theology, radical theology, the kind of theology that actually gets you killed. That's where John starts. That's where he starts his book. It's shocking if you let it be. It kind of it gets people killed, this theology. Firstly, Jesus, here's the first one. But then as you read through, first Stephen. And then Peter and the apostles, and we know that many of those people died for their faith in the early days of the church. It was the kind of theology that got everybody, all the apostles killed, except for John, who wrote this book. But John's making a statement. And really here, he's starting with this. This changes everything. He's saying this changes everything. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He always has been. He always will be. He was while he was with us. Jesus was there when the world was made. Through Jesus, God is with us. And because of this changes everything. So I've actually given Nathan permission to do that whenever he likes throughout this sermon. Some of them I will know about and some of them I won't. Um, But that's great. But this claim, it's a radical claim. Throughout history, lots of people have actually made this claim that I am God. Jesus is not alone to make this claim. But he's one of the few, the very few, who managed to convince a heck of a lot of people at his time, in his time, that that was true. But some people have done that. Some people have even convinced people it was true while they were alive. Very few people have been able to convince people for even one generation after they leave, after they die, that their claim that they are God would hold up. 
Some of us here would remember David Koresh in the United States who made that claim that he was Jesus. Um, Convinced a whole bunch of people. I don't think you'll find very many people who believe that David Koresh is the the Messiah today. But Jesus, his words and his actions and his signs and wonders were recorded for us and convinced billions of people today that he is God. So he made this claim and Jesus alone has been able to sustain that for generations. But let's move on. In verse 4, verse 4 in this passage, In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once again, remember, this is the first few words that John's saying in this chapter in this book. He's saying that Jesus is the light of all mankind and that he can overcome all darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And he just states it as fact. In fact, if you look at these first five verses, John states them as fact. It's not like this is not up for debate. This is not up for debate. This is the fact. And he almost states it like, here it is. Jesus, you know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. Full stop. Any questions? Any questions? I say the Bible is a boring book. If only you let it be a boring book. But when you read it with eyes that would actually see what John's trying to say here, he'd probably say, this changes everything. This changes everything. We're going to spend most of our time today on the first five, these first five verses. But let's go back to the beginning when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. And we'll start with those first three words, in the beginning. Because when John's writing this book, he's making a very clear point here. And he's referencing something that everybody, all Jews that he's writing to would know. In the beginning. Very familiar words. We all know where they come from. The very first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. So John's making this link all the way back there. And if you go to verse 3 in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. So in this passage, John's talking about in the beginning and then he's talking about Jesus being the light. He's making a really strong link to things that people are very familiar with. But he's also saying... It's not like you think it is because Jesus, the Word was with God and the Word was God and that that changes everything. I like to think that John was making a a claim to really try and be the first book in the New Testament, you know, but the people who actually wrote the canon in the end didn't have that same sense of symmetry around just trying to line it up in that way. And um, he ends up being the fourth gospel, not the first. But John's out to make a really strong point. God and Jesus are one. And if you stop and think about that message, you know, we might stop and think that that's a really strong message to a first century Jew who's been raised with the idea that God is distant, far away, can only be accessed through going to the temple. And now you're saying this person who we know and have seen is God. 
And we might, we might be able to discount that and say, you know, well, that was really a radical thought for a first century Jew. No, it's a radical thought for us today. It's a radical thought for us today that God came to earth, became man and became one of us. And in, if we need to be convinced about that, David Koresh is someone who convinces us about that because he tried, he didn't succeed. Many others have tried and haven't succeeded. But for us, this reality is very real. So it's a strong message to first century Jews and it's a strong message to us today. It's a foundation. It's an absolute pillar of our faith and it's one we need to really learn and understand about. So there are echoes of this that Jesus and God are one throughout John and we'll see that as we go through these series and this I Am series but you'll see it in lots of other places as well. And certainly, John, it's an emphasis whenever he speaks. So when he speaks in 1 John chapter 1, so not John chapter 1, but 1 John chapter 1, the letters that he wrote, there's three letters later in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. I'm an eyewitness here. I'm telling you what I've seen and heard. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So John does it again. So if you haven't got it from my first book, here's my second book. Here's the sequel and I'm just saying the same thing. It's a good franchise. It's going really well. Um, no, it's really important. That's why I'm saying it. And it's interesting to note that in John's other book, the last book that he wrote, Revelation, we sang a song from that book um, earlier. Jesus actually says this in chapter 22, right at the end. He says, and it's Jesus speaking. Jesus speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And it's really important in Revelation because in John chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus being there in the beginning. And in Revelation, He's talking about that Jesus will be there at the end. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega being the first and last letters in the, in the Greek alphabet. And we'll touch on this again later, that he will be there at the end. But for now, we're going to move on to the next three words. We've had in the beginning and now we're going to was the word, but don't worry, we will speed up. We won't be doing this three words at a time all the way to verse 18. Okay, uh, we will move along. But because this passage relies so heavily and starts with this term, the word, it's really good for us to explore what that actually means. And we're going to do that briefly here. And it's probably time to talk a little ancient Greek. Now, not all of you would be familiar with ancient Greek, but some of you might know enough and might be able to make a really good guess or you've heard this before. Who can tell me what this word is? Logos, that's right. For those of you who need transliteration, there it is, so that this is how we, how we write it in English letters, not Greek letters. And then if you actually look at Vine's expository dictionary as one of those that might express a little bit about what this has to say, uh, of what this is trying to convey, there's actually three contexts or ways in which the word logos is used. Um, in all cases, it's actually to... to um, be an expression of thought or will. So it's actually communicating that this is the logos, the word, is an expression. So it's not just a written thing, 
but it's actually, con- it's actually an expression of something. It's expressing, it's trying to explain it, it's trying to reveal it. And then there's a couple of ways in which throughout the New Testament it's used, and we'll look at the second and third ones first and discount them in this context, just saying that you know, the second and third is saying that it's either expression of thought as a saying or a statement, just something we would say, just as simple as that. Or it's actually that term that you would say to say that this is actually a discourse or a speech, a deliberate, um, you know, a deliberate instruction, one of these things. But what seems most appropriate in this context is the first item that says an expression of the thought or will embodying a concept or an idea. And so when it says, in the beginning was the word, this is John trying to convey something, you know, of what this actually means. What God is trying to say that is embodying the concept or idea of God. It's fair to say that, you know, Jesus is, you know, John's saying that Jesus is an expression of God. This is God revealing himself to us. Both at the beginning of the universe, in the beginning was the word, and through him all things were made. But also in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is the embodiment of God, of how God reveals himself to us. And this changes everything. It changes everything. But while Jesus is the embodiment of God, it's clear that along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that there are separate entities within the Godhead. And this is a a concept that people have battled with throughout the ages, but it's very clear in this passage, and I like to say that as um, 1 Corinthians is to love and weddings, so John chapter 1 is, is to the Trinity, or at least this concept of Jesus and God being one. It's just a well-known passage, but it's a passage that works really clearly because it does say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Now you can't be with something if you're not a separate entity. So here it's clearly saying the Word was with God, separate entity. And the Word was God. They are one. Separate but one. And these two, these two phrases alone, was the, word and the word, was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God alone, are explaining part of the Trinity. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, if you go back there, you actually see, which John is clearly alluding to in Genesis chapter 1, it actually says, In the beginning God, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God, so we've got God the Father, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God said the word and this concept of light. And so in these passages we see the cornerstone of, the, of one of our core tenets that God is three in one. We see that the distinct entity of Jesus as God the Son and the Word from God couldn't be more clear. We see that the Word was with God. We see that the Word was God. We see that Jesus is divine. This changes everything. And this changes everything. We're going to hear a whole lot more about this as we go through our I Am series, but let's keep reading our passage today. Verse 6. There was a man sent from, G- from God whose name was John. He came as a witness concerning the light so that, all th- so that through him 
all might believe. Hold that thought so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So we read it earlier and we read it in these passages, this concept about Jesus being the light. And you're going to get a sermon on that later, so I'm not going to hold too long on this point, except to point out that in this passage, it's a strong theme that echoes back to Genesis, that echoes and is a background to this very claim of Jesus being the light. But where we will spend some time is on verses 10 through 14, so let's keep reading. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came before the Father, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we'll skip down to 18, because talking about John the Baptist in there. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. But let's start at verse 14. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've just had Christmas and guaranteed you've probably heard that verse quoted or that concept quoted probably 15 times, maybe more in that time. Sometimes I think, you know, we we try and make sure it doesn't wash over us, but it can wash over us. And really today is about, once again, reminding ourselves not to let that wash over us, but understand that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us is an amazing thing and changes everything. In the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, the place, the presence of God was actually a place. God made his dwelling. Where God dwelled was in the tabernacle or the temple. Tabernacle first being basically a big tent and the temple being a constructed building. But that was where people came to meet God. That was where God said, if you want to to interact with me, here's the place to come and do business. It was a place of atonement for the forgiveness of sins. It was where God resided and people went there to meet with God. But now, John says, the word became flesh. Jesus was born, fully human. He was born in a very human way, in very humble circumstances. And he lived amongst us as a human, in pretty humble circumstances. And then he died like a human in pretty ordinary circumstances. But the amazing thing is that he was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. And this changes everything. It changes everything. This story about Jesus, this story of Jesus, the facts of the life of Jesus, fully human, fully God. But before Jesus left us, and even before he died, in fact, Jesus said a couple of things that actually indicate 
that the temple and is no longer the place, the dwelling place of, of God, that God has made his dwelling place in us. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you, there am I with you. And before he ascended, he actually said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Hear the revelation piece there? I am the beginning and the end. I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. God has made his dwelling among us. He's made his dwelling with the church, the broader church, when we gather together. But he's with each of us as well, and he's made his dwelling with us. So finally, we want to go back to verse 12. And it says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And this changes everything. It changes everything for us who claim to be his followers. But it actually changes everything for everyone. Because God has revealed himself and his plan is that all might know him. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That discounts nobody. Nobody. There is nothing that you can do that will actually take you away from that promise of God from that opportunity to become children of God. He gives that right to all of us. He gives that privilege. It's available to all, not just to white Anglo-Saxons, privileged people, not just to the poor. It's to everybody. And being the child of God is a wonderful place. It's something that we should be really, really grateful for. I think sometimes for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we can probably take it a bit for granted. Oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. We probably sing it. Probably doesn't touch us all that deep. We almost think we deserve it. But it's a wonderful place to be. It is. It's a fantastic place to be. It's a place of love, of being loved. It's a place of blessing that we have this relationship with him. It's a place of trial and struggle at times. I don't think there's a Christian alive who hasn't gone through struggles and trials. But you know what? Isn't it great to go through trials with a loving parent at your back? And I hope that most of you have had that experience yourself of going through a trial with a loving earthly parent at your back. And many of us have had that experience, but some haven't. But it's a wonderful experience to go through an earthly trial knowing that God, our Heavenly Father, has got my back. He loves me. In spite of anything that I do, He loves me. That in actual fact, there's nothing that will separate me from His love. There's nothing that will separate me from His love. And that's the place, the, the beauty for those who are followers of Jesus. We've experienced this love. We know this love. It's real. It's not imaginary. It's real. Being a child of God is a place of hope. 
in this life and the next. It gives us hope. It gives us strength to walk through the trials that we face in this life. But it gives us a great hope for future as well. I said before, we sing Revelation songs. It puts me in that place of joining in with what's going on in heaven. It's a wonderful place. Jesus has promised eternal life. And we have that promise. So what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus, those who are? Firstly, a reminder, this is great news. It's great news for us that we have received him, that we've seen his glory, that we are, we too, in the way that John speaks, we too are witnesses of what Jesus has done. We are. All of us are witnesses of what Jesus has done. Because you know what? People can deny all kinds of things. You can try and explain to them that this is how it worked out and Jesus was real and there was a fact here and that this is how salvation works and this is what sin is and all of that stuff. And they might say, I don't believe any of that. And then you can say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. They can't say, I don't believe any of that. <laughs> they cannot say, I don't believe any of that. Because you can say, well, were you there? <laughs> Were you there? So what Jesus has done in our life is very powerful. It's very powerful. And so we should, um, we should uh, just dwell in that place and rejoice to be in that place. We've seen his glory and we are his children. Hopefully for us, as we do so, it changes everything in our life that it influences and impacts everything in our life, at least on the good days, but no, on all the days. You know, but ideally, this should affect every aspect of our life. The fact that Jesus is God, that he came to earth, that he died and rose again, that we might become, have the right to be the children of God. And if you really believe that, it's great that it should impact every part of our life. It should impact our hopes, our aspirations, our priorities, our self-esteem, our confidence, our relationships, our behaviours. And maybe if you're having a really good day, signs and wonders. But, you know, we have, we have signs and wonders at least at one level in our life. But talking of signs and wonders, you know what? We pray. We pray and we see answers to prayer. We have a wonderful intercessory prayer team at this church who pray for us and I'm so grateful for them. There actually is a thing in the weekly update this week and I really encourage you to take a look at it and read it. Um, when I saw it, I just thought, I actually said to Claire, Claire, this is so good, we've got to share this with the church. We've got to share this with the church. It's actually what they've learned about, I thought this is great. It's, it's not telling us what to think. It's actually saying, this is what we've learned about prayer this year. And as we look to 2022, things we... doesn't say this. Things we don't want to learn again. But no, rather, things we'd like to build on as we pray into 2022. So I'd really encourage you to take a look at that because it's a wonderful statement of what that team does. It covers this church in prayer and I'm really, really grateful for it. So... But it does affect our prayer and it should affect every part of our life. Secondly, I'd say that we, as part of this, you know, 
because we've received this, we actually have an obligation to share and we could say there's even a command for us to share. But I would say ideally, it's not, we're not going to do that out of obligation or because we're told, just doing as we're told. Hopefully, sharing the message of Jesus comes out of an abundance from our life. An abundance from our life. And that it's actually a generous offer that we're making. Sharing Jesus is actually a generous thing to do with those around us, with our friends, our family, our workmates. Now, I do know it won't always be received as a generous offer when we share about Jesus. And that's perhaps a reasonable perspective from the other side, those we're speaking to. But from our perspective, as those who have experienced Jesus, it's a very reasonable perspective to say, I am making a generous offer. And to actually understand that that's what we're doing, even if it's not well received. And I'll say something else about sharing faith, that recently I had a friend of mine actually said that they were struggling with identifying as a Christian today, to, to going by that label. Like there was so much baggage that comes with the term Christian, so much baggage and so much bad behaviour by Christians that they didn't agree with that they struggled to use that term. Personally, I'm not sure that's actually the right response to that scenario. I think it's real that there is a lot of baggage that comes with the term Christian, that people can put a negative connotation on that. But I'd encourage us to reclaim that title, at least with those people that we are around. Hopefully, we help redefine the word Christian to those people. That they might say, yes, I've heard about Christians and they've done terrible things. You know, there's child abuse if you go into the church here and there's this that's over there and, you know, the people have taken money and the people have tried to control people and, you know, all of these things that, that um, you know, I had this bad experience with the church and with Christianity. But hopefully we can be people who say, yes, and, and this is what Christianity is to me. And so when you think about Christianity, think about these things as well. So I'd like to think we are people who actually, you know, part of what we do is educate people who perhaps need educating about what a real Christian is. And education comes through all kinds of things, but it comes through words, behaviours, and signs and wonders, prayer. So let's be people who help redefine the term Christian to those around us, especially those who have this baggage, because I'd like to think that, you know what, they could think, yes, those things happen, and I know a Christian... (laughs) who loved me when I needed love, who cared for me when I needed care. I know there's a great community. I know there's Christians. I know they talk about this great community where people look after each other and where there's a message of hope. Because that's the kind of church that I hope we are, that we can be. That's the kind of Christian that I hope we can be. And I hope we can be people who redefine the term Christian in our society, in those places where it needs redefinition. 
There's a saying we learnt, Kathy and I spent some time in youth with a mission and there's something they like to say, I don't know if they stole it from somewhere else or not, but um, around what do we do with this and, and they have a maximum about knowing God and to make him known. And as we look at this passage in John chapter 1, it's a great passage for this. To know God. Who is God? Jesus is God. What, is, what has God revealed to us about himself through Jesus? What has God revealed himself about us? That there is hope for this life and the next. That the offer is open to everybody. And the second thing is that we make him known. And so let's share those truths about Jesus. We won't convince everybody, but you know what? Most people aren't convinced by great talking. Most people who come to faith actually come to faith because somebody loved them. And showed that love. Some people do come through mind reasoning. Some people are real seekers and they seek the truth. But many people come through other means. And let's find those means. And as Paul said, by all possible means, save some. Find the point and let's work there. But let's share our love with them and our message. Let's share this privilege that we have to become children of God and say, you know what? You too can have this privilege of being a child of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When John writes this book, he's actually wanting to convey a few things about Jesus and what he wants to know. Firstly, he's wanting us to know about his deity, that Jesus is God. He's wanting us to know about Jesus' relationship within the Godhead, that he's a distinct entity and yet one. And he's wanting us to know about his incarnation, that the word became flesh, that Jesus came to earth, died, rose again, that we might become children of God. John's wanting to say, Jesus is God. So what? This changes everything. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're with us and that as we meet together and as we leave, that your dwelling is no longer this place. It's not here in this building. It's not even here with this people, although you're among us. But you're with each of us as individuals. We thank you that as we meet together in your name, we can meet with confidence that you're here. Thank you for the great joy. Thank you for the privilege to meet together. Thank you that you feed us in so many ways. And we ask that as we go, that you'll show us those things that perhaps need changing because of what you've done. That you will impact our lives. That you'll touch us in our lives. That you'll give us a fresh understanding of what Jesus is God means. That the word became flesh and dwell us, dwelled among us means. And that we'll carry that with us. And that out of abundance, that people will see and know what a real Christian is. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.